So our concept for this is pros versus Joes, right? What is this, amateur hour? 37 minutes. Engage. Engage. On location podcast. Pro versus Joe. That's it. Everybody's I've had it with this jump. But I'm too slick. Better pick up the game. Stay ring. We can't do this. It's, it's, it's over. That's a, that's a cool story, too. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets heads are falling off. What are we calling this? Pros versus, or not pro, pro versus. I don't know who you are. Joe, pro and Joe. Pros versus Joe. I don't know what you want. Welcome back to Pro vs. Joe, the podcast within the podcast. That's right. Pro vs. Joe podcast is the podcast within the Diojo podcast. So buckle in this episode. Um, we went a little long. Um, thankfully, we went longer on talking about um, topics relevant to entrepreneurs, construction, property restoration, insurance, those kinds of things. But the idea, um, as we continue, this will be our fourth Pro versus Joe, is that we bring two perspectives on the entrepreneurial experience in property restoration, which is mitigation, responding to losses and repairs, you know, putting houses and um, uh, businesses back together after disaster strikes. And so the pro, quote unquote, who's been in it for a while and seen a few things, you know what I mean? And then the Joe, quote unquote, who's getting into it and seeing all the things for the first time. So we hope this encourages you as an entrepreneur, a manager, or a growth-minded professional um, looking to develop your career so encourage you, challenge you, educate you, and inspire you. Um, and all in all, uh, Brian and I just have a fun time hanging out. This is a bit more laid back than you know some of our other interviews on the broader Dojo podcast. But Brian continues to share aspects of their um, business and you know drop some pro wisdom. Um, one of the things I'll just hit on a few things before we get into it: transparency which is something that was discussed by Skylar Lewis on episode 19 of the Dojo podcast, um, treating your employees and your subs well, um, treating them like partners, you know, which is something that William Mendoza um, brought up in episode 13 of the Dojo podcast. So these are, we're talking about things that are um, broad and then specific and um, unpacking that as someone is getting into the property restoration business from their experiences in construction and working with property managers and, and relevant fields. So hope you enjoy. Uh, if there's topics you want us to talk about, please hit us up. The Diojo Podcast.com. Good? Cool. Sounds good, man. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Brian. Um, John. I, do you like that? Um, I was messing around with the intro where you go, uh, uh, what is it? Pro versus Joe, engage. Engage. You know where that's from? What movie? Seth Rogen's in it. Seth Rogen wrote it. Mm, no. It's from Su Super Bad. Oh, really? Yeah, when they're like in the cop, when McLovin's in the back seat and they're going to go to the bar. And, engage. Uh, <laughs> 
And uh, what's what's the other cop's name? He's from Saturday Night Live. Uh, what's what's his name? I'm trying to. One's Rob Riggle, right? No, no, Rob Riggle's the cop in, in uh, Hangover. Hold on. Let let, let me uh, let's ask. See, this the, is like this is new school comedy. So I'm I'm uh, Adam Sandler. I know you know the Adam Sandler movies, but Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. Chris Farley, Jim Carrey. I uh, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not that young, John. Yeah, but you're a lot. You, you have more familiarity with the newer stuff. I haven't watched a lot of, I've watched like Pineapple Express, some of the Seth Rogen stuff. Well, well, Superbad came out in what, 07? So it was yeah. Bill Hader. Bill Hader. Oh. He's so the funny thing is, so Superbad um, was written by Seth Rogen and he took forever to make it. So ultimately he wrote that about his life. But okay. then when he finally got um, a production company to make the movie, he was too old to play the roles played uh, by, uh, what was it, Jonah Hill and Michael yeah. Sarah. Anyways, yep. so he ended yeah. up playing a, a, a background, you know, he was a cop in the movie, so. Oh, Anyways. Seth Rogen, Bill Hader. Bill Hader's probably, yeah, I, I don't think he gets enough love, but like that. He's hilarious. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was mm-hmm. actually a really good, pretty damn funny, you know, cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember, what, I mean, him on SNL was just always classic. Yep. What's so, but that, they, um, the awkward guy, um, Spawn uh, or... Sven. Sven, where he makes uh, yeah. random names of different yeah. clubs. Your favorite club um, might be. Um, but there, he, but Bill Hader is telling Seth Rogen as their cops, you always want to take a cop or a call from a bar because you always can, you know, you're going to get a beer at the end of it. So <laughs> engage. Well, I just got back. Um, speaking of the younger generation, I took my 12 year old to um, Winco because <laughs> we're rollers, you know. Ballin'. Okay, and would you like to add a dollar donation to help hungry kids around the world? Oh, uh, no, that, that's okay. Sorry? I'm, I'm good. I'm sorry, you don't want to give the dollar to hungry kids? Not today, thank you. Um, Ballin'. She's cooking two dinners this week, so she's cooking, um, like, fancy ramen. Okay. I, what's you know, what's I she gonna ra- put in the ramen? Uh, bok choy. Mmm, love me some bok choy. Um, and, uh, uh green onions. Those are the two things we were looking for. I don't remember what else. I remember the first time. So, you know, I grew up a poor kid. So top ramen is, you know, what you have a lot of. Right. And so I remember in Eugene, we went to the ramen. No, Uh, my family was a Budweiser family. So a closet Budweiser family, because that's when drinking wasn't cool for religious people. So, which is like down with JC and booze in my house. That's all. Yeah. You can, you wasn't over the top with it, but it was like, you know, you weren't supposed to be seen doing that. Whereas now it's like, cool. But, um, within reason, John, within reason. Did you do a Wana as a kid? I did Royal Rangers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, um, but my daughter is, we talked last episode about food. She is a mac and cheese aficionado. So she wants to make homemade mac and cheese. So, um, so what kind of cheese is she going to put in it? I think she got mozzarella and cheddar. So she's a a purist, you know, I think you were asking about, you know, um, funky cheeses. I'm more of the, yeah, the stinkier, the tangier it is. in your mac and cheese? Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. Any man. Yeah. The, the harder and smellier the cheese. I, I mean, you throw some blue cheese in there, some gorgonzola, like. Mm. Yeah. Do you like breadcrumbs on your mac and cheese? Mm-hmm. Uh, and some, okay. Some hot sauce. Make, oh god. 
Okay. Well, maybe some hot dogs. Bacon, bacon is good. Some of those, uh, I think it's Pico's Barbecue Pit has a smoked mac and cheese. They, um, in your had a lobster mac and cheese. No, thank you. You want to take a nap, like a serious nap? No. Have some lobster mac and cheese in your. No. <laughs> Seafood and mac and cheese. No thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, there's a. Uh, in Eugene, there's Hawaiian Time has the best. Their 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 um, Hawaiian beef is really good. Their rice is nice and sticky. Their mac salad is phenomenal, and that's the one thing I can't find out here in Washington. There's there's some good mac salads. You know, mac salad is not that hard. It's like potato salad, right? It's either good or like, oh my gosh, what is this? And right. So, I mean, yeah, you can't ever have bad macaroni or potato salad, but like you can have really good. But most of it's uh, just kind of like, okay. I disagree. You can have bad mac salad. <laughs> You're a Washingtonian, so you don't know what real food is. So, Come on, man. It's true, dude. You- <laughs> I, I could take you hands down to a thousand restaurants in Eugene and Bend. And, and Eugene has a population of how many, John? 150K. 150K. And you're uh, it's a just – did Anthony Bourdain ever go to when he was, you know, living his life before he um, decided to end it? Guy Fieri has in every restaurant he went yeah, to. Yeah, but clothes. Guy Fieri okay, has clothes, exactly, because Guy Fieri is – Yeah. yeah. I'm an Anthony yeah. Bourdain kind of guy. I'm sorry. We have, we have Canlis and El Gaucho in Seattle, not – Big barbecue guy. There's a um, – there's a police officer in Puyallup that has behind bars barbecue on, on Instagram and he smokes like everything, mac and cheese. Have you ever smoked mac and cheese on your barbecue? I have not. Um, I have smoked Papa Murphy's pizzas. Oh, I've smoked. Uh, My cousin does that. It's good, you, man. I mean, you're a Traeger guy. I'm a Traeger. I am Traeger forever. Trigger for life. T4, Traeger for life. TFL. T4L. Yep. T4L. Um, a, I've become a charcoal guy. I like the battle. <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't like the battle. I don't. I don't have all the gadgets. I have the Traeger before uh, the model that came out like three years ago. Before Brian, fake yeah. news. You're a gadget guy. You like were telling me you've got the Bluetooth and you can hey, watch. Man. Not not when it comes to my Traeger. Okay, I don't have Bluetooth on my Traeger. I don't have any of that stuff. I got. I have the old school Traeger before all the new like apps and everything came out. I got up. I stepped onto the grill and I clamped down on my foot. That's it. I don't see what's so hard to believe about that. I think this is fake news. <laughs> is this CNN? See, I the only trigger I've ever owned was second, third hand. Kelsey's brother gave it to a family member. They upgraded. We got it, and we had to replace the that uh, thing that goes in the probe that goes in and, and heats up your uh, pellets. We had to replace it like three times. It was like every six months we had to replace it. Um, so I use my trigger on average six times a week i believe it i believe it my go-to um on the weekends we buy that hempers uh bacon from costco Oof. and then i turn my traeger on in the morning at 275 Oof. and i smoke it for 40 minutes a little bit of seasoning on it mm-hmm. i did it this morning and it is delicious I think, I think i've told you my favorite breakfast dish to take i have this little ceramic pan I put a loaf of the sausage with chorizo seasoning in there. Get that smoking. And then once it's about ready, crack a bunch of eggs in there and then put some mm. seasoning, green Sounds onions good. and stuff. Yeah. My kids love that. And then you make get a little sour cream and some cheese, nice. burritos, breakfast burritos. Another, um, good, uh, another good thing on the trigger is a Murray Callender's pie. Oh. oh and then yeah. you smoke that, it? Oh, yeah. What's well, your tr- 
What's your favorite the, pie? The boysenberry. Okay. It's got the mix of all, like three or four of those berries in it. Yeah. But my favorite it, it's just pie. Something, is, I don't know what it is. It's just something, even with the Papa Murphy's, it just a little bit of smoke compared yeah. to just in the oven. It, it's Yeah. Yeah. My favorite pie is a uh, strawberry rhubarb. I'm not a big pie guy, but I like strawberry. I'm a big, I am a big pie. I don't like cake, but I love pie. Huh. Cobbler, any of that kind of stuff. We had, we did some work for a family member, a family member of a family member in Albany, um, old barn house. She kept the lard from, um, she actually, they weren't allowed to stock it anymore, but she made all her pies. I think that's basically the idea of Crisco, right? But her pie crust was so flaky. Oh man. Mm. Oof. So yeah, I'm hungry now. Um, what you smoking? Uh, let's see. This is a Partega's. I don't know what it's, uh, I can't see what brand it is. It's got a gold wrapper with a black outline. It's actually nice and smooth. Yeah. How about yourself? So I, I know on the last one we talked about, you asked me if I ever smoked a diesel and actually found a diesel in my humidor. So Okay. Pretty good. I don't know what kind of diesel it is. It only had a little tiny label on it, but. Look at that Even one of those, those sampler. Oh yeah, that's pro tip right there. See? Yeah. You want the white ash. If you got black ash, that means you're smoking too quickly. Oh, Too many puffs. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Level six. That's right. Here, See, how, See, look, if I rotate it, it's all even. Look at that. Sorry, podcast listeners. You got to be on YouTube. Upgrade. Subscribe. What are the YouTubers? Subscribe, like, yeah, and we need to get a, We, we, we got to get 100 on, on there. Cause, yeah. Because John's got to get his, his URL. The URL would be nice. I, I'm sure by the time I get 100, they'll have changed the rules. So <laughs> <laughs> They'll just keep raising the bar for you. Yeah, they're like, oh, not this guy. Come uh, on, Google. They're like, we're trying to weed out the mediocrity. Yeah. Um, Fake news, restoration. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I know you're a big Jordan guy. Um, Huge you know, Jordan For guy. those that are new, Brian has the sweetest golf shoes ever, the Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. um, those, are, yes. those are some... And they're starting to open. Uh, so I like Meadow. I think it's Meadow Park there in Tacoma. I tried yep. to book a reservation and they're like booked out. And then so I'm going like past 14 days and you can't book. So yeah, you get a tea time. We, let I, me know. I played last Wednesday for the first time. Did but I did get an email. Online? Yeah. Well, no, I, um, yeah, I booked that one online. It was one of the Oki courses and I got an email because I have an Oki card. And uh, they are just now starting next week accepting foursomes on the course. Oh, because previously you were only allowed to go out with two. Um, if you need a if you need a spot, let me know. I'd I'd love to get out and let's do it. Hit some balls in the bushes, <laughs> <laughs> smoke some cigars, and walk around in the in the deep grass like we like to do. There you go. So, um, <laughs> any takeaways? So, I think last time we talked about. I think we're on episodes three and four of Last Dance. We're a little behind. Um, so we won't spend too much time on it, but um, I, I love, um, so I was never a great athlete and I was, I, really? I, I no, I'm, so I got the, uh, I played baseball all growing up. I always got the, they called me JB cause John is really, you know, he had like eight Johns on the team and um, I always got the, uh, the effort award, you know, like um, I was <laughs> try decent. hard. I was decent hard. at baseball, but like if it was running or doing drills, I always tried hard. And so I, I was good. I wasn't great. I'm not, you know, I didn't make the high school team or anything like that, but it's okay. Um, it's okay. But uh, in basketball, Sean Kemp. So I think I showed you, I got, I finally got my Sean Kemp. Pop it. 
Nice. Look at that. And I said before, you know, I grew up poor. That was the first pair of like brand name expensive shoes that I got. Um, I got the Camp Kamikazes, I think for seventh or eighth grade basketball. And um, those were Reeboks, right? Reeboks. Yep. And so they had some crazy shoes back then because that was when they had the, the, the shacks too. Remember the shacks that? Because yeah, yeah. Sean Kemp's were the like the like looks like yep. lightning and shacks were like the, the circle ones. Well, I was looking at like all time. Um, there was something on all time shoes and Gary Payton's shoes were actually pretty badass. Um, Gloves. Yeah. Same uh, with Penny Hardaway. Like, Penny Hardaway had a man. The 90s, man. They, I mean, Jordan's alone was one thing, but they had a lot of really cool shoes in the 90s. Well, Jordan always went like the classic route, right? Yeah. But I feel like uh, looking back at Gary Payton's shoes, um, they were ahead of their time. They had like purple in them because yep. it wasn't super. You didn't go the bright colors. Bright colors hadn't hit yet. Except for the All-Star game in, what, 96, 97. It was the, when Shrimp, Peyton, and um, Kemp went, it was, the, yeah. it was in Arizona, so it was the pink and the teal and everything like that. But, um, so the, but Rodman's uh, breaking down the science of, of um, rebounding, rebounding yeah. was just, you know, I mean, you look at him, you kind of pass him off as like, that guy's a loon, but he was a phenomenal basketball player. You know, yeah. obviously a complex person. Um, but you know, just him, like just sitting there watching people, Hey, Jordan, can you shoot? And just dissecting how, yeah, you know, and like most smart people, right. It's not like most people that are good. And that's the same thing you find with Jordan. They're not great coaches because they don't really process what makes them good. Right. They're just, they know I work my ass off, you know, and, and I do it. Um, and they're not always the best, you know, sometimes it's like those who can't coach, but it's not always the case. Like, Yep. The ones that are really good at what they do aren't always the best at explaining it. So, um, but anyways, I thought it was interesting. You froze on me. Hang on a sec. Is it mine or yours? This is great, great footage right here. I don't know if you I can got hear you. me, but I had you froze like this. I got you. Like you were praying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to edit that part out. Yep, yep. Put a picture of the kamikazes and the shacks and the pennies and the, and the gloves. And the gloves. Okay. Um, so John, I think – Great the, point, John. That's a great point about <laughs> – The last thing I said was uh, uh, Rodman dissecting – With the rebounds. Uh, rebounding – being and relating it to our industry, being a doctor of disaster, right? Like, yep. you know, thinking through like what you're doing and, and we talked about last episode, it's not that complex, right? Just do it right. Figure out how to do it efficiently and then add that flair of excellence to it. Right. Like, I mean, you know, that's the Jordan tongue, the shoes and, you know, just people that do it well. So yeah. I, I missed your point. What was your point? Well, I was going to like what you're saying, you know, great players are, have a hard time coaching, um, but I think it's really interesting seeing both Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr. Yeah. Because obviously Steve Kerr is a great coach now of the Warriors. But on that Bulls team, he obviously was not Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Key, he, key player, right? He played but, a role and he, yep. he saw how great players conducted themselves. And now he's able – I remember there was that famous clip when um, Steve Kerr actually got kind of mad about it. But – in the finals, I think it was the last year that KD was on there where they lost to uh, uh, the Raptors. He pulled KD, Kevin Durant aside and he said, 
you know, you need to trust your teammates. This is what Phil used to tell Michael that you need to trust your teammates and give them the ball and give them confidence. And I thought that was really interesting how he was able to, you know, elevate Kevin Durant, be like, you're on that Michael Jordan level. And this is what Phil used to tell Michael. So I'm telling you this. So that was really cool to see that. Or going back to, you know, with the last dance, seeing how Phil Jackson was able to, you know, I mean, there's that scene when Phil's sitting in the locker room and he's putting his arm around Dennis and how, yeah. They both kind of um, connected with that Native, that Native American history. Yeah. Um, and he called him, you know, you would have been the guy that, you know, Native Americans, whatever the name was, but like the man that walked backwards. And that was just like who Dennis was. And he was able to figure out, okay, I got this, you know, this gazelle that yeah. doesn't matter if he's out till, you know, seven in the morning in Las Vegas, he's going to show up and he's going to be able to, run laps around everybody because he's just a freak of nature, but I got to figure out how I can hone that skill and just like get him to focus and use that skill for basketball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was such a molder of talent because it's one thing to coach Michael Jordan. Or, I mean, then he coached Kobe Bryant later on in the Lakers, but like yeah. it's another thing to be able to take Dennis Robin with the hair and all that Dennis Robin was at that point, because pre the bulls, like when he's on the Pistons, he didn't have that. He was a great he was a great player, but on the bulls, he was such a character off the court Yeah, that when he was still in that, you know, within the, the lines of the basketball court, Phil was able to hone him in and actually get him to accomplish the task. Well, and his task he, was not to score. His task wasn't to be Michael Jordan or Scotty. No, get the rebound. That's it. Guard the best guy and get the rebound. Well, he, he served his role. He mentions that in last dance. He was like, cause even when he was on the Pistons, right? He realized, the best way I can contribute to this team is not being a scorer, but playing great defense and rebounding. Right. Mm-hmm. And they say, I don't know if you watch, I'm sure you watch that deeper 30 for 30, but Chuck Daly was kind of his first kind of, and, and more of like a father figure, right. That, yeah. um, and Isaiah Thomas speaks really highly of him. That team yeah. embraced them because they're a team of misfits, but yeah. And then when he went to San Antonio, you know, David Robinson and not saying bad about him, but obviously it wasn't a good fit. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, you know, so Dennis has always been rebellious, but uh, the Pistons knew how to embrace that, whereas the San Antonio Spurs were maybe more of a rigid team and not – they needed what he brought, but he wasn't a great fit and he just didn't thrive there. And then he comes to the Bulls, and it's very interesting. I think what's interesting – I've always been very attracted. I don't read a whole lot of business books because yeah. most of them are really, really boring. And, and most of them are not very applicable because everybody wants to talk about their success. Nobody really tells you like how they got there. It's like, I was not successful. All of a sudden I'm successful and here's what you need to do. And it's like, right. well, what's all the crap in the middle? Yeah. Um, and I read Phil Jackson's book because I thought about that. Like I've been on teams where you have superstars and if you don't manage them right, like it just, they tank the team, right? They bring, cause they, they've got to be held accountable. I think Michael Jordan says that he says the best compliment you could give to a great player is to coach him and coach him hard is it yep. didn't jordan say it yeah and so, epic comeback starts right here so and that's what's interesting about phil is it seems like he knew when to be hard and it wasn't very often right most of the time it was you know more cultivating and a lot of time kind of playing referee to say you need to understand this is what this person brings to the table i think you brought that up probably like episode one or episode two, didn't you? Where you're like, 
um, maybe it was one of the other guests I'm getting mixed up, but you know, talking about how some people might think this person, Oh no, I'm sorry. It was Mike on the leadership episode, episode 12. He was talking about some people that was at Les Schwab. Some people might not recognize this guy may not be a fit in the bays, but he's phenomenal up front with people and we need that, you know? And so helping people understand, well, he may not do as much in the bays as you do, but you hate being up at the counter. And so this guy compliments that. So, yeah. What I found was it's, it was always my thought when I was evaluating members of the crew, if there's value somewhere, we keep working with them, you know, and in that setting, we did everything, you know, they would work on the cars, they would answer the phones, they would run and do sales, they would order products. We taught them to do everything, Yeah. but not everybody is good at everything. And so yeah. I always balanced out that, okay, well, where are the, where are their strengths? And is that a value? And if somebody didn't have any more value in the store, that was the determining factor. Hey, we're done. We're done trying, you know, we're going to try and try and try, but if there's no value there, they aren't bringing anything to the table, then we don't, we don't need them. And so that for our employees and the coworkers, that was a little bit of a harder concept because they view things as, you know, what is helping me right now. And so if I'm slugging it out, working on cars and you've got, you know, Joe over there that, you know, seems to be disappearing all the time. That, yeah. That's all that person sees, that employee sees. It's like, well, he's not out here working the cars with me, so he must be no value. But what I see as an overall is, no, he's at the, the front counter making sales. He's really good with customers. Or right. he's the guy in the back room making sure that we have all the, all the materials we need to do the job. So if he wasn't doing that, you wouldn't be able to do your job. And so there's value there. And so it was a constant uh, coaching of, you know, when there was a flare up between two employees, uh, it was usually something like that where they just think that they have no value anymore. So I had to kind of open their eyes a little bit, a lot more. Yeah. Uh, hey, there is value here. Just like you work really hard in the base and we, we appreciate that. And we need that. This individual, um, you know, they're the first one to run to the truck slab to work on the dirtiest and most strenuous jobs when nobody else wants to. So yeah. you just kind of constantly balance that, but it's also shifting those employees and putting them in the places where they're going to be successful too. Yeah. So, you know, giving them that opportunity to use their strength daily instead of forcing them to do something that maybe they're not as good on and they're miserable and you're not getting any good productivity out of them. It's a, yeah. it's a lose lose where if you can shift them into a position and, you know, let them flourish in what they are comfortable and good at, then the rest of it, you can try to build up underneath them and teach them in the smaller, you know, smaller doses. And now a word from our sponsors. Woo! So a few of you may be familiar with our work on the ever popular book within the restoration world, the 10 commandments of exactimate estimating success. So, that went through kind of an overview of how to be successful with Xactimate. If you are a career-minded professional and you want to explore opportunities to develop yourself and your career and your professional abilities within property restoration, estimating is where a lot of the money is made, so that's where the opportunities are. So we are incorporating the Ten Commandments into a broader book uh, currently with the working title, The Keys to the Insurance Restoration Kingdom, setting yourself and your team up for success with estimating insurance claims. Um, this is designed to help 
professionals that want to develop and explore opportunities as well as managers that are training teams and leading teams. And I just wanted to highlight an area. So a growth mindset, right, is being able to learn from everyone. So you may be in a position where you're learning from somebody that you don't particularly like. Growth mindset means I'm committed to learning. I'm going to learn what I can from this person regardless. Um, and so, or, you know, uh, as you get into Xactimate and estimating, you're going to have to deal with rejection. It's actually part of the three R's of the beginner's guide to um, estimating. And so that's the three R's are learning from rejection, learning from repetition, and learning from relationships. So um, you're going to get rejected. Uh, Xactimate is tons and tons of repetition. And then um, learning to develop and learn from your relationships. And some of those may be positive, and some of those may not be so positive, but you can learn from everybody. Growth mindset. So learn from rejection, learn from repetition, learn from relationships. Please keep your eyes and ears open for upcoming news about the keys to the the keys to the insurance restoration kingdom. Um, if you catch me before we publish, if you have a better title, um, love to hear it. So thank you for listening to the Diojo podcast and keep your eyes and ears open for resources coming from the Diojo. Right. Um, I thought that was really interesting, you know, and then, that- well, and I think, I think to that point, it's interesting how Phil Jackson let Michael Jordan, you know, like, like in the last episode, they talk about when him and Steve Kerr got in a fight. Yeah. He kicked Michael Jordan out of practice. Yeah. There, there aren't a lot of coaches that would kick Michael Jordan out of practice. Yeah. And Michael Jordan went into the locker room and he talks about how he came, you know, he was sitting there, and Phil Jackson came in and Michael's like, I know, I'm sorry. I blew it. I don't know what I did. Like, why, yeah. why did I do that? Yeah. The fact well, that he had the balls to kick literally the greatest basketball player of all time out of practice. Yeah. You know. Well, that, and to, you know, Scotty Pippen's big faux pas. I don't remember what episode that, that was where he's like, I'm not going in because he felt yep. disrespected. <laughs> Phil literally says, well, F him. You know? F it. We don't need him. Yeah. yeah. And, and Kukoc hit the shot and, and they yep. won. And. Well, but that too, knowing at the time, you know, what the right thing to do is. And well, I mean, you know, uh, Pete Carroll gets, uh, you know, gets crapped on all the time for not handing it off to, to beast mode, you know, right. in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. But it was also a calculated decision. He's like, they knew we would run and they would have stuffed it. And I, you know, I kind of think the guy that that receiver should have fought for that ball. And obviously Russ could have placed it better, you know, so there's, there's all those little micro things that go into it. So. Well, I, I think with that play, granted, I still remember. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever get over that that mm. anger of that, but it does make sense what he says is like if we have an incomplete, you, you're not going to throw an interception. I mean, truly, a hundred times if you run that play a hundred times, right? It's not going to get picked off yep. ninety nine more times. So the fact of the matter is what Pete Carroll said is we're going to try to surprise him. They think we're going to uh, Marshawn because the previous play Marshawn busted off that long run after curse had that huge catch down the sideline. Right. Yeah. They're like, if we throw a pass, if it's either going to get caught or it's going to get knocked down, it's going to, yeah. the time's going to stop and we're going to run the ball again. But if we run the ball, then we're going to get rushed and it's going to, you know, it, it, it's going to, the, the clock's going to be running and yeah. then it's yeah. going to be kind of chaotic. So you can see, but sometimes shit happens. Like it is yep. what it is. Granted, yeah. I have heard, you know, there's, there is rumblings that, you know, you know, uh, Belichick was filming their practice session because they had never run that play on the goal line before. 
And so Malcolm Butler just happened to jump that route, whereas eh, it's a little fishy because. Well, and then you can say, you know, Bill Belichick has the hindsight of being able to say, well, we knew it and whether he did or not. Or yeah. um, the other thing, it's interesting to me talking about people's skills we, we and whatnot. We keep bringing up a lot of really bad wounds for Seattle sports fans. Last, last time it was about the Sonics. Yeah. This time's the 2014. Well, well, yeah. life, life is pain, right? But, <laughs> you know, the, the last great running back we had at Seattle was Sean Alexander, right? Yeah. Uh. The, the a complete opposite of, of beast mode, right? Beast mode, like, looks for that. It's so crazy. You watch Marshawn run. He has that really weird gait. Yep. He's not super fast. He's not a burst guy. You know, you make him a hole. He just needs a small hole. He creates contact, and then it takes three or four guys to bring him down, right? And yep. obviously, Beast Quake against the Saints is yeah. phenomenal. But he was not – he has not been traditionally a goal line back, right? I mean, right. his success rate at the goal line – not terrible, but not like, yep. whereas Sean Alexander was, he would go out of bounds before he took contact, right? He mm -hmm. wanted longevity. That was yep. part of, but 20 yards in, that guy was money. You know, he just, for some reason, and he also had Max Strong, right? You know, uh, and, and a pretty good offensive line too. Yeah. Walter, Walter Jones. <laughs> and Hutchinson. Uh, yeah. Steve Hutchinson. That left side was, was, was great. Well, that's a, uh, yeah, letting that, that, that sour deal, right, with the Vikings. But, um, yeah, so, um, but, yeah, that I, I, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I think I was starting to talk about, like, I've, I've always enjoyed reading coaches because um, one of my favorite ones is Jimmy Johnson. He talks about the Pygmalion effect, but, you know, like coaching people to be their best. You know? If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure that they remember forever the night they played the titans you know, and that kind of thing and, and phil jackson because again rodman's a great example of his ability and then that season they didn't have the bulls i mean they went you know far you know and so um but just understanding that a heavy hand isn't always the best way to deal with people you know you gotta right. you gotta treat them you know in, in relationship you still have to hold people accountable but you know sometimes right. that looks differently you know so um what did you think about um, uh, episode four with Rick Dancer? We talked about adversity and that, you know, the last dance is all about adversity, but adversity for entrepreneurs. Um, did you have any takeaways from that episode with Rick? I, I remember one thing he said was you can only control today. Mm. You can't control yesterday and you can't control tomorrow. Yeah. And I know as, as an entrepreneur myself, you're never going to get everything done. There's always, especially if you have a young business like, like I have, you know, there, there's always a never ending list of yep. how we can get better. How can we improve? How can we do this? We, oh, we have four job blocks today. Okay, crap. We can't get this done. Yeah. And you're always fighting an uphill battle, but I think it's having that perspective that, okay, are we improving? Are we better in October than we were in September? Right. Yep. Are we better in 2021 than we were in 2020? Yep. Having that ability to look back and say, okay, how, how did we, what did we overcome? What did we not overcome? And how can we overcome that next time? Right. It's having yeah. that perspective. Tracking it. Yeah. Well, and that was, um, John Wooden. Um, I think I've talked to you a little bit about, I have a chart, you know, for training and whatnot that I think about, and it's kind of based off of John Wooden's concept of the pyramid of success. Have you ever heard yep. of that? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty complex. Mine's not as complex, but um, he would, for his own personal development, 
every year, you know, even in the, in the years prior and the years, I don't think he had that many unsuccessful years, but he would always focus on one aspect of the game to mm-hmm. re like evaluate and train himself and dig into. And I think you have to do that as a business too. It's like, it's not, um, one of my favorite sayings is um, there's only one way to eat an elephant and it's one bite at a time, you know? And yep. so I think too often you see the big picture of like, man, you know, we're failing here, here and here, or we're not where we want to be. And it's like, if you can narrow it in, you're going to be so much more success- successful. If you say, take a quarter yep. of, of the, your year to focus on, I'm not, we're going to work on all the other stuff, but we're really going to focus on, and we talked about last episode, um, you know, the guys going to Home Depot is like a great inefficiency, right? Right. So, you know, take a quarter and just what can we do this month? And then next month, what else can we do? And if you, if you focus on that, it's like, if you try to do them all, you're going to get none of them done. But if you focus on one, you'll make some traction, you know? Well, I know one thing I try to do, I know it's kind of old school, but you know, if, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, um, it's like, okay, let's just make a list of everything that I can think of that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. How, how, how many lists, you know, it's 15, 16 things or whatever. Yeah. If at the end of the day I've checked off like seven or eight of those things. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're doing great. I made progress that day. Yeah. Right. So, well, I, I remember reading an article, I think I wrote on it. I don't remember, but Barbara Cochran from um, shark tank, you know, she's a in, uh, real estate mogul and, um, um, she, uh, she talks about, she tries to have a list. She tries to have four things on her list. I think it was like four things on her list every day. Mm-hmm. And I've heard other people talk about prioritizing your list. Like these are the things I have to get done. I think Lex Disney, I love his stuff, organizational physics. He's going to be on the podcast. I think I'm interviewing him this week, but you know, the quadrants of like, I have to do this. It's high priority. I have to do this. It's low priority. This I can delegate. It's like the, the nexus of like, um, Things that are risk, you know, if it's the higher the risk that demands your attention, those are in the must be done. Mm-hmm. And the lower the risk that doesn't demand your attention, those are great candidates for delegating, right? You know, and so trying to decide. Yeah, she, she's great. I, I, I like Barbara a lot. She's really smart. Barb, she, um, I think that was in like Inc. Magazine or something like that, um, that she mentioned that. But, um, you know, what's funny is, and I think that's the way you and Brandon are approaching it, Skylar Lewis from Superior Restoration. Uh, when I was talking to him, he was talking about how he was new to carpet cleaning. He started out as carpet cleaning, but he was like, I want, I needed to, I wanted to learn each step. So he started with one truck. He got that up and running, got a second truck, was able to train somebody hands-on, right? And then once he could get that truck up and running, he now had two trucks going. They hired somebody to take over his truck. Then he moved into office, learned that aspect, right. learned this aspect. Right. And then that way, you know, once you, and that's part of the scaling, right? Once you know all those things and set up systems, you can now train somebody to take over certain aspects. And then you now have, you know, a process that you're very familiar with, you know how to check and you can yep. empower other people to help you. And then yep. two, you know, once you get to that point, then you realize these are the things I like to do that I can do with very little energy drain you know, versus these are things that like, man, I need to delegate because it takes me a lot of energy to do this. Yep. Um, yep. But I was thinking in the aspect, Rick is, um, uh, he's a phenomenal, like he does Facebook live locally, you know, in Eugene Springfield area. And then he's got Explore Again, 
Um, so it goes around Oregon to small towns. But um, so his business was at the time that was early in um, quarantine. And so, you know, his, his business was hit hard. Um, and so he just was like, I'm going to serve my way out of this. And I know he's still, um, we just recently did a doing good in your hood. And he was talking about how, you know, a lot of his um, clients have stayed on, you know, because of the good that he provides, you know, in the community, but it's really easy to change language. When, when this first came out, everybody was talking about social distancing and I'm like, what the hell? I'm not, not going to socially distance from anyone. I'll physically distance, right. but I'm not going to socially distance, and you're not going to tell me to. It's just changed. Like, and now all these people on Facebook are starting to talk about, yeah, what Rick was saying, this physically distancing thing, they are using different language. So I think we, by, by local, we mean local people, you know, our community. Exactly. Maybe yeah. it's a community thing. So that's what I say more often is people in our community. Um, right. the programs and, and it is it's just a learning thing for me you know because I was doing all the local thing too and it's a, it's a learning thing a lot. and yeah. we have to remember is these small businesses in a month they're going to need us more than they do right now and yeah. in two months they're going to need us even more so instead of kind of coming down off this thing I'm thinking okay things are back to normal it's like it's not going to be back to normal for a lot of people so I think this is, this is the long haul thing you know It's interesting. Um, have you looked up um, on Instagram water damage daily? They're like memes relevant to the industry. No. I interviewed him episode 11, I think. Um, really funny stuff. You should check it out. But so that's, you know, an aspect of it doesn't really tie because he keeps his identity separate from his business. So it's not like he's driving. Um, but he's able to kind of take some shots that you wouldn't be able to take without anonymity. Um, right. And then uh, you'll get to that one, but born to repair Elon. Um, he writes uh, poems, you know, about repairing equipment and they're, they're pretty damn funny. <laughs> Have you ever heard the term tchotchkes? Huh? I don't know why, but yeah, that, that's, that, that sounds familiar. So the last place I was happy at, days? Maybe it's from Happy Days, but um, the gal that ran like our carpet division and, um, um, you know, did a lot of our marketing and stuff like that. She's from Philly. And so it's a Philly term. It's like your promotional items that you hand out, your little doodads and whatnot. But she mm -hmm. called them tchotchkes. And I've never heard that before. But uh, um, did you see um, Rockland Restoration? He's got his own energy drink. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, and they're not even a, a huge company. So, and he said it's cheaper than, um, than most, you know, um, cheaper than you might think. And then he hands it out to plumbers and stuff like that. And I know at least our crews, if we were, especially we were working a late night, you know, mm -hmm. bring energy drinks and pizza. Right. And I mean, it doesn't solve things, but it's right. Nice. Um, so how cool would it be to have the all American energy drink, you know, and be like, hand that hey. out. Well, I just looked up tchotchkes on Urban Dictionary. Do you know what the definition of a tchotchke is? Uh-oh. It's a <laughs> Yiddish word for trinkets and collectibles, trinkets, yeah. a.k.a. dust collectors that you would find in an old lady's house. Oh, yeah. I, Mrs. Silverman had lots of tchotchkes sitting on her mantle, many yep. of them collected from garbage sales or garage sales and yard sales over the years. So, <laughs> yeah, you. she was like, we need to restock our tchotchkes. And I was like, <laughs> or what?
Is that a carpet cleaning? Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, you know, you guys are, are good. Like uh, we talked about in episode one, your um, Nazi Eagles, you know, on your truck, which I never thought prior. Shall live in infamy. But now infamy. I can't unsee it. But um, the right. new logo that you're getting ready to, I'm privy to some information that the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside, inside stuff. But I, did you, I would say in my mind, it's, it's, reminiscent of like the peloton logo kind of the clean and sleek is that part of your um was that part of your inspiration and um you know what are your thoughts on branding and that kind of stuff so i've always been you know a clean you know yeah. clean design type of guy like i like you know apple um peloton nordstrom um anything like that where it's it's yeah. really simple but you just you know the brand when you see it and i think especially um, in the restoration game that we're trying to, you know, really explode in, you know, we're, you know, we're going into people's homes that are in the midst of chaos, right? Whether it's a fire or a flood, um, we want to then leave clean. So we want everything to just be as it, as it was when it was originally yeah. installed. So I think that's kind of the idea is that we show up, our guys are clean, our yep. trucks are clean, you know, the job sites are clean. Yes. It's just, so yep. just having kind of that feeling of high end contractor and you don't have to charge high end prices, but you ultimately, when you walk into someone's home, you know, you give off the right vibe, right? You know yep. what I mean? Yep. Dear God, it's beautiful. So that was kind well, of the idea. That's one of my keys. Like, um, you know to client relations is like the cleanliness and communication right it's so crazy those are two very simple things like you know we've talked about that multiple times but you know putting the paper or the ram board out first thing when you yep. show up on the job site right masking things off you know talking to people about their contents and then every day when you leave sweep or vacuum right the customer and you want the customer to see that because the other thing right. a clean job site communicates to the customer that you're in control of what you're doing right uh, i cleanliness in property restoration and construction is godliness because how many times especially your property restoration guy right in your prior life how many times do the drywall guys come in and you can tell you know where they walked from unit to unit or out to their truck you know and drywall is one of the hardest because it sticks to everything right but um, especially in in that's not as much in the residential game but if you're in the commercial side if you're in an office building you know coming out of an elevator Oh, going through God. carpet, any anything yep. like that. I mean, that's really where you have to have that clear communication with your subcontractors that you're, yep. you as a sub, like, yeah, your drywaller that you send there, drywall sub, yep. doesn't really care about the GC. Yeah. But yeah. I need to know that my subcontractors have passed down that like you are a representation ultimately of me. Yep. Yep. And so we have to, and I think even like, I know we always keep talking about COVID cause that's what's going on, but like, that's been what, you know, since the construction industry has reopened, there's been lots and lots of things that we have to have in place, you know, job sheets, checking in, checking out every single visitor that comes into the home, whether they are an employee of mine or they are a subcontractor or a visitor, as far as the state goes, um, they have to have been screened. They have to have been tested. They have to have masks, eyewear, and gloves. Um, and we've had clients that are like, Hey, are, is the subcontractor going to be wearing PPE? They have to, 
by the state, but also like we have to, you know, reassure our customer that, yeah, it doesn't matter whether they're an all-American employee or an all-American subcontractor, they are going to be following those guidelines yeah. mandated by the state, right? Well, and that's, you know, that's what we've been trying to communicate to our guys. Like some of this stuff may seem silly, you know, like you got to have your mask and goggles and it's like, obviously whoever wrote the rule has never worn a mask and goggles, right? Because <laughs> the first thing it does is fog up, but right. we don't want to be the reason, you know, on our jobs, we're doing, you know, large scale public projects. It's like, we don't want to be the reason this job gets shut down. Can you imagine right. what the, the penalties would be? And on residential, it's even more stringent, especially if it's occupied. Yep. You know, and then too, like, I know a lot of people are like, you know, you know, Jesus is overbearing and stuff like that. It's like, to me, wearing a mask is a very simple thing, right? That's a pretty simple ask. And I, I don't necessarily, I mean, people have talked about, you know, whether it's effective or not. It's like, I just try to wear them to the grocery store anyway. So that's a simple thing. It's a simple thing. I'll wear a mask. Please let me go out, <laughs> you know? Um, but the, um, have yeah. you been to Costco since they made like, they mandated the masks a couple of a couple of days ago. Cause uh, I went today and it was weird. Was the beginning of May, right? I haven't, I actually haven't. I've been to Winco and a couple other stores and I just, I try to wear it regardless. Cause I think well, it's they, as of, I think it was May 4th was the date that Costco was requiring, um, it. requiring it. And I hadn't been in Costco in a couple of weeks. And so I, I went this morning and I was anticipating, you know, vendors outside, you know, slang and masks and things like that, or a Costco rep outside selling Kirkland signature issued masks or whatever. Yeah. I was anticipating the worst, you yeah. know, that Costco may be trying to like, yeah, manage the situation, but it was actually really cool. You walk in and if you don't have a mask, they give you one hmm. for the first two weeks, which is really cool. I, I think that showed that like, they're not trying to take advantage of the situation. They're just trying, like, ultimately they did have, yeah. you know, a, a corporate employee die um, I didn't hear that. Oh, oh yeah. Early on. So, um, I think the story was they did not let their corporate staff at the headquarters in Issaquah work from home because of whatever PC or whatever type of reasons that they had employees that were at the store that wouldn't be able to obviously work from home because they're a warehouse worker they, or they, you know, their checker or whatever. Yeah. I, I think and, to some degree that makes sense, right? If your workers can't be at home, then you should be there, you know. Right. But I also think that if you can do your job from home in a situation like that, yeah, you should, granted it's Washington, so obviously you have to worry about whatever, um, yeah. you know, le whatever backlash might come from that just because of the state we live in. Yeah. But, you know, they, they say that if the, if that worker would have been working from home, they wouldn't have contracted the disease and then died from it. So, it is cool yeah. that for the first two weeks, they're literally there. If you don't have a mask that the person checking yeah. the cards when you're walking in is going to give you one. Well, I think so in the I, I thought that was really cool of Costco that they did that, that they didn't because they could have easily taken advantage of it and been selling masks out there for 10 bucks yeah. or whatever. If you want to come to shop. Well, I think that's one of those damned if you do damned if you don't, because I could see, I could see I'm a big believer. It's like, if you're going to require your frontline employees to be at work, then your management should be there. Right. It's, it's kind of a mixed message where it's like, well, you guys got to be there, but we're going to be working from home, you know, right. but at the same time, it's like, how do you make that decision? So I can see that's probably one of those unintended consequences and who knows whether that person actually contracted it at work yeah, or yeah. Time to pay some bills. Okay. 
Hopefully you're enjoying this episode of Pro vs. Joe with myself and Brian Close, um, where we try to bring kind of the whole perspective of the insurance, property restoration, insurance, restoration, repairs, mitigation field, both through my perspective of having been in the industry for a while and Brian's, you know, coming with a fresh set of eyes. But too, as well, also, if you're enjoying this content, you may have enjoyed our last episode, which was a discussion with Rachel Stewart, who is the author of this great book, Unqualified Success. What is it? Bridging the gap between where you are now and where you want to be to achieve massive success. Um, and we talk about her progress from coming back into the working world and now as the executive vice president of Titan Restoration. Um, Honestly, this is probably one of the best books I've read in a long time on very practical uh, applications of um, you know personal and professional development. And what she talks about in Unqualified Success starts with this quote, the only qualification for getting better is being willing to suck when you start, being willing to admit I don't have it all figured out. But, I, but having the confidence, and we talk about that in episode 15, No Risk, No Reward with Denis as well, about you know what is it about leaders, people that are willing to say, I believe in myself, I'm going to try, I will figure it out, I'm not there, but um, you know I can bring the right people around me and I can educate myself and I can get there. And this is, this is definitely the book for, I've read it, my wife has read it, and uh, both of us got a lot out of it. Um, so please... Uh, listen to the Diojo podcast with uh, Rachel Stewart, and uh, if you haven't already, um, take a peek at this book. The other, I saw a meme. It was like, um, you know, Costco says, "Do not shop here unless you're wearing a mask." And then, like, people are like, "Well, I'm not going to shop at Costco if I have to wear a mask." And then Costco's like, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> Ooh, you told me. <laughs> no, they're clearly going to suffer, right? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the. Um, well, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the keys to good marketing. Um, we were talking a little bit offline about like people spending money on stuff that isn't justified by revenue. Um, I don't want to, it's like we got a big following, right? But um, I was talking to somebody in a Facebook group and- We and, do have a big following, John. It's growing yeah. every day, daily. Tens of- a little bit counts, man. We got to get that. We're, we're, we're nearing that YouTube, you know, threshold. That URL is coming. The you URL know, we is are coming. a five-star rated podcast. So, hey, man. Um, all hey. of our ratings are five-star. Um, that's right. Because we don't accept four stars or less. <laughs> we're like Alabama football. Like, you, you got to be a five-star if you want to come here. Five-star only, but by <laughs> any, any means necessary. Well, they um, – somebody was asking about purchasing this expensive piece of equipment. Yep. And I, I had kind of said, well, do you have the revenue to justify currently? Do you currently have the revenue to justify purchasing this equipment? And their response was, well, if I get the equipment, then I will. And it's like, man, you know, that's, that's not the way cash flow works. Right. You know, it's not field like, of dreams type of uh, mindset, right? Build it and they will come. Yeah. Well, and, and, Thankfully, I've I've always done that with my businesses. I'm not saying I'm super successful, but that's always been my mindset. It's you like you are a pro, though, right? <laughs> yeah, by by some accounts, um, but uh, but you know, like it's like buy buy what you need to get the job done, and then if you get consistently get the the work, um, there's not very many. There's always ways to do it without the 
$18,000 piece of equipment. I can't say always, never say always and never say never. So I just said never and always in the same sentence. But mm-hmm. um, can you think of, have you been tempted in business to purchase this thing or that thing and thinking that it was going to be the thing that made your business? You know what? The reason that we're not succeeding as a business is because we haven't bought this. Um, I think for us in construction, you're always tempted to have the big shop, have yeah. the big fleet, yeah, have lots of lots of things, right? Yeah. And I think um, we've realized that okay, lots of things results in lots of overhead. Yeah. And overhead is not a good thing, especially unnecessary in- overhead, right? Correct. Correct. You have to have overhead, but unnecessary overhead where you're inflated is not good when you are, especially in a, in, in a state like we are right now, where luckily, like I said, we've pivoted into this market that um, while, you know, we did face the shutdown and whatever, you know, challenges that, you know, brought, but we aren't a full on only tenant improvement contractor where yeah. we had however many clients lined up and then boom, COVID hits and crap, we don't have any work to do. Yeah. Um, but if you have, if you limit your overhead to only the necessities and not that we're, cause you also can't just run hundred percent lean and just be cheap with everything. Right. Like you, you, that gets back to the branding. Like you, you still have to have, you know, you can't show up to a job site with broken tools and you know, just yeah. You guys gotta. You guys have to look professional, but yeah. I think it's finding that that balance of what do you need, and then how do you yeah. how can you portray yourself as a successful contractor without having yeah. every single contractor driving a big thirty five hundred or a huge Sprinter van or whatever yeah. it may be. You know, like those things are purposeful, but you don't need to have fifteen of them. Well, I can remember. Uh, you know, I worked for a fairly big franchise. And one of the vans in our fleet, we were kind of the bastard division, but um, we had this old Ford Econoline that saw the stick shift, and it was only a four-speed. Steering's a little loose! Ah! Um, But we took it on ourselves. I had that van for a little while, and I was like, okay, if this is going to be my van, it's going to be the cleanest van in the fleet. You know what I mean? And so it's like – and, and there's some, some of those old guys that are the best um, craftsmen, you know, they got the wood handled, you know, drywall trials and stuff like that, that are in better shape than any of the crap that people, you know, you talked about the Home Depot guys, you know, the, the guy that's got 18, you know, 12 inch blades in his truck, you know, um, whereas the, you know, the one guy, he's like, I got one, I've got my 18, my 12 and my nine, you know, and, um, and those old tools are like killer, you know, because um, they take care of them. So, it's, you but, don't but, have to have the best and the flashiest. You just have to take right. care of what you got, you know? Right. And I think that's what, that's one big thing we've been trying to hammer home with our guys is it's like, while we're trying to reduce overhead and like we talked about last time, like setting up supply, you know, piles or whatever at our yeah. shop. Yeah. Okay, guys, you have carte blanche, whatever tool you need to do or you need to buy to make your life easier for you to, uh, you know, accomplish the task that you are given buy that tool so yeah. you know what take care of that tool i'd rather have you buy one really nice thing right than 17 crappy things that you're just going to yeah. throw in the back of the van because you don't want to take 10 minutes to clean up your van and make sure right. you know where all your tools are well like, there's that that's been one thing we've learned moving 
like, like right now we're in the process of moving our shop and going through all the vans and, and cleaning everything out and itemizing everything. We're like, why do we have 75 of this? Yeah. Why didn't we just, and they're all like the, you know, at Home Depot, they have like the best, better, good. Why did we buy 75 of the good? Why didn't we just buy one best and take care of it yeah. and take care of it Yep. and have, make sure every single truck has every tool they need, but not, not three of the tools, just yeah. one of them and take care of your stuff. And when it breaks, buy the good one again. Right. Well, you don't want to be cheap, but you also want to be smart. I've it done it both, back to that. both ways. One of the best carpenters I've worked with in property restoration in Portland, he swore by Ryobi tools. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I would say those are like, if you're a tinkerer, right. Yep. Um, they've yep. obviously elevated their game, but then I've also had a carpenter that, you know, claimed he was the best carpenter ever, but he didn't have his own chop saw. And I was like, how have you been a carpenter for 30 years and you don't have a chop saw? Like that was yeah. one of the first tools I bought when I was, you know, a weekend warrior, you know? And so I've always made it when I did stuff on the side and when I was building my construction business, you know, I can remember the first drill I bought was a 14 volt. <laughs> we were like, what is that? Uh, DeWalt, you know, but I saved up, I made it a goal. Like every time I did a job, I would, either buy or save up for, you know, the next tool and stuff like that. Right. And then I still have my chop saw that I bought on eBay probably back in like 2003, you know, and it works fine. You know, mm -hmm. it's not dual bevel, you know, it's single bevel mm -hmm. and it's not the, you know, I don't remember the ro rotating arm or whatnot, but it, I mean, I've, I've put trim in a lot of houses, you know, <laughs> with but, it, but it accomplished the tasks that you were yep. out there to do. Right. That's the, and I thing. take care of it. I blow it mm -hmm. off. I wipe it down yep. I oil it, you know? And so, and yep. then two, you know, the best worm drive saw is probably that skill saw, you know, uh, brand. Um, and my father-in-law introduced me to that and it wasn't that much more expensive than some of the flashier ones, but that thing's outlasted almost every friend I've had that's bought a skill saw. So it's yeah. not always, I think if I, I think you got to know your carpenters too, because if a guy's not going to take care of it, then yeah, I'm going to buy you the rinky dink, yeah. you know, chop saw at Harbor Freight. And I know you're going to break one every six months, you know, yep. Yep. but you know, Hey, if you're going to take care of it, then yeah, I'm going to buy you, you tell me which one you want. Mm -hmm. And we've done that before too, with guys is like, if you really want the nice one, show me, you can take care of this shitty yep. one yep. and then we'll buy you the nice one, you know? Yep. Um, and then to, I think you talked about those rigid boxes, what those, those can be spendy, but if it's going to improve efficiency and guys are going to take care of it, then yeah, we'll buy one and every truck will have one, you know? But you know what though? Like realistically, yeah, it, it may cost us three or 400 bucks a truck to, to fit them with those, those rigid toolboxes. But it gets back to, if you can clean up your, your job site really quickly, because you have three or four toolboxes that all snap together and you know where everything is supposed to go. Yeah. And then you're putting all your stuff back and it all snaps together and boom, it just easily sits in your truck. You strap it down, you're out the door. And when you come back to the job site, stuff's not falling around in your van or your truck. You can unstrap it. Boom. You wheel it right back into the job site again and you're ready to start. Yep. It's that's smart money spending, right? Yep. That, that's like, okay, I'm going to invest in my employee. I'm going to give him something to accomplish the task where we're also not having to leave tools behind. Cause that's a, that's an easy way to either lose or get something gets yeah. stolen. Yep. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, you can tell, you know, you can go in behind the, the, it's, it's true. You know, like you can look at a guy, if a guy comes to work dressing nice, um, you know, and they're, and they keep their trucks clean. Those are the guys that you invest in and, yep. 
and um, you know, and you try to encourage the other guys to follow their, their lead. Excuse me. Um, so and getting back to your crappy van thing where you said it was going to be the cleanest in the fleet. If you have an employee that keeps a crappy van clean, yep. they're going to respect the sprinter that you give them down yeah. the road. Right. Yeah. There's this guy. Um, he's pretty famous. Um, he was actually a carpenter as well, but he said uh, he who's faithful and little will be faithful in much. Yep. You know, and that's a great principle because if you take care of this and that's a, you know, for a company starting out, you know, you might not be able to buy the nicest stuff. Right. But you tell your guys mm-hmm. and you, and you know, create that culture. Like if we take care of this, if you guys are more efficient, less trips to home Depot, we will be able to do stuff like you're talking about, like the profit sharing and buying newer equipment, but mm-hmm. we need your help to get there, you know, so make this work for now. And then let's revisit this in three months or whatever it is. You know. And I think that's all about the transparency with your employees is like, you're at a startup. This isn't, you know, you're, you're not working at some company that's been around for, you know, three generations. But yeah. the benefit of that is you're at the ground level, man. Yeah. And as we grow, you're going to be what the, the old man at that 30-year-old company is yeah. when you're yep. in your early 30s. Yep, yep. And then what's your, what's your future look? I mean, if you stick it out with us, what, what does it look like when you're 40, when you're 50? Yeah. You know, yeah. you will be driving one of those really nice rigs. You're not going to be doing a whole lot of ju- work because you're going to be overseeing guys. You're going to be a foreman. You know what I mean? Like it's just trust the process, man. Like, yeah. Take the next steps. Well, I think like you said, communicate and train and yep. um, like we talked about the last one, having a plan of a performance. I encourage everybody, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I tried to keep a running word document of like, if I counseled somebody, whether it was negative and I tried to keep positive too, like, Hey, and then I could go back. Cause sometimes you have in your mind, like, well, this guy keeps doing this. And there was a company up North that I counseled with. And they're like, well, how do you hold the people accountable? It's like, they're talking about, I can't remember. It was somebody not paying attention to a particular detail. And I was like, the next month, keep track of every time you talk to them about it. So if it's once a month you're talking to them about it, then keep it part of the conversation, but it's not a big yes. deal. But if like twice yep. a week you're having that same conversation, then you need to escalate that plan, you know, in the training. Yep. But you can't just say like, well, this guy always does this. If you're saying always or you never, then you don't actually have any data to back up what you're telling your people, right? You need to say, hey, man, last week I talked to you on Thursday and on Tuesday. Yep. You know, and it turns out actually for the last six weeks, I've been talking to you about it. So we need to fix this, you know? Well, well I, I think to that point, what's interesting, if you circle back to where we were talking about the last dance with Phil Jackson, mm. you know, one of those episodes, it, it talked about the two years that Michael re- retired. The first year they had the foundation in place. They yeah. had the work ethic that Michael Jordan had and the team was successful. Like granted, they, yeah. they lost to the Knicks in the playoffs, they didn't make to the finals, but ultimately they, they still were successful. But then the second year, it wasn't. Yeah. They were, you know, floundering until Michael Jordan came back. Yeah. And I know that Michael had mentioned that it was really interesting, you know, speaking of Steve Kerr and other guys that had gotten drafted to the Bulls out of college in 94 that weren't a part of those first the three culture. years that sure. won the, that they, they didn't win the NBA finals, but they're like, man, I'm, a, I'm on the bulls. We're good. We're yeah. this, that. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. you were on that team. Yeah. yeah. You, ha- you, you didn't go through those battles. I did. Scotty yeah. did. So yeah. now you have to work. So I think that's really critical when you're running a business where you, if you have 
good management, but if you have crappy guys, it doesn't matter. But if you have crappy management and good guys, it doesn't matter. You have to have yeah. both yeah. to be successful. One elevating, um, you know, obviously Michael Jordan is the type of guy that had one way, one speed, right. You know, and Phil Jackson more so had the, I don't know, but Michael Jackson recognized even in Dennis Rodman, right. That yep. hey, this guy has value, even though he doesn't quite approach it the same way I do, but Dennis Rodman came in and worked his ass off. Right. You know, so mm -hmm. they saw that in practice, you know, he's a different animal, but he did yep. the things that, that mattered to Michael he Jordan. Filled, he filled a void that was there. Yep. Um, and so what uh, the, the other, another conversation we had, um, you know, in Facebook, somebody had a truck and right now it's super common. People all seem to be <laughs> on the same boat. It's like some kind of fire graphic, some kind of water graphic, and yep. then, um, just like everything and anything on the truck. And, and it's the same wording on the side, on the back and on the other side. Um, there's a vendor, we don't want to name names, but a vendor, well, I'll name names like here locally, there's a premier water restoration. They went black, right? You know, and I remember I was at Alliance of Independent Restorers had a meeting um, here in Washington and they purposely went that route, you know, to yep. it's, you know, cause you got the bright green, the bright yellow, you know, everybody's mm -hmm. bright this and, um, and it's very sleek, you know, your, your guys' truck, <laughs> we keep bringing that up, but you know, black yep. with the nice red Eagle, it says all American, you yep. know, it just looks slick and clean. I know the rebrand you're going that route, but um, I just think I heard early on, it's like, if everybody else is doing it, don't. Right. And I've always, I think to you, there's a fine line between that clean versus, you know, getting your message across. And you got to think about like, you know, someone sitting behind you, what do you want it to convey? Um, but the other part of that, so many companies like to put the sign in the yard, Hey, we're doing a fire damage here. And to me, it's just broadcasting, the biggest compliment is if people are like, well, I never knew they were there. You kind of snuck up on me there. I am very, very sneaky, sir. You know what I mean? Like, it's so clean. You know, the guys are in and out, you know, that kind of thing. And the discrete services, I think long-term that plays better than, hey, we're here, we're doing this job, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, homeowners don't want that. Like, I wouldn't want that. I don't want advertising like, hey, I'm remodeling my kitchen, you know, because that sends all kinds of messages. You know, well, I, I think to that point, getting back to like the, my inspirations, one of them being Apple, Apple knew that they would never overtake Microsoft, but they did not try to go after the doctor offices, the, the, the broad, you know, yeah, the huge, I mean, you're, you're never going to overtake those huge networks yeah. of hundreds of computers and what you need, you know, a Linux or a Microsoft, you know, operating system for Apple was, Hey, we want this niche industry. Yeah. And if you want a computer where you're not gonna be able to go in and tinker with it, you're not going to get 16 different colors and change. No, you, you get, you know, space gray or whatever, you know, basically you get a light gray or you get a dark gray. And this is what the computer looks like. Here are the two sizes. You can upgrade yeah. the, the hardware or whatever, but like, they knew who they were. Yeah. And I think that's always been something that I've really liked. I mean, I've been an Apple guy since I was in college. Like I like that things don't really change. And I know that my iPod, my iPhone, my iPad, whatever it is, they're all gonna, they're yeah. all gonna work. Yeah. And Microsoft, it's like, well, you have yeah. all, I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. And b both have been successful, right? It's not right, right or wrong. It's mm -mm. just, 
approaching it a certain way. And there's been plenty of companies that have tried to replicate it and failed and plenty of companies that, um, you know, um, have, have been successful. So it's interesting there. It's not like it's a right or wrong way to do it, but mm-hmm. just think about like, don't do it because somebody else is doing it. I don't know. I just watched, you mentioned Seth Rogen. I just watched, I'm about three quarters away through um, the Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender and Seth Rogen plays um, Steve Wozniak. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. But they have, you know, really heated arguments about, you know, you know, Steve Jobs portrayed in that movie. I don't know how accurate it is because I haven't read the 800 page autobiography, but um, you know, uh, talks about, you know, their arguments about design and whatnot. And, um you know, again, I don't know how accurate that is, but you know, you have the the visionaries and, you know, that think through like, we're going to make, we're going to beat the market by being different. And I think that, you know, a lot of times it's just simple things, right. You know, that, uh, that make a big difference, you know, in the way that you approach things. The thing that Steve jobs, I I loved about it was when he released the iPhone Hmm. and he went up there and he had, I think it was like four or five, like little, like, I don't know, like tables with, yeah. with uh, tablecloths over him that he was like going to unveil five products or whatever it was, however many it was. And he's like, okay, this is what we're announcing. And he pulled all of the tablecloths off and it was like, we have one product. It's the iPhone. Mm. Yeah. It's everything that your Blackberry, your iPod, whatever, everything is going to be in this device. Yeah. And just that visionary where it was like, now you think about it, everything's on everything's yeah. on your phone yep like yep. but yep. that was his vision like yeah. how can i make you do everything on this one thing yeah like well and that was i i've never been i'm not a diehard apple guy but when it was like um i could sync my music on my phone i've always been a big music guy you know it was like you know when itunes came out i remember reading steve jobs one of his favorite inventions was the cassette player you know so you had the you know, the cassette player, and then it evolved. We talked about previously the CD player, but now, you know, think about how your library has changed to where, you know, it's all accessible. Um, but right. he, up to that point, the iPod had been one of their most, their best selling items, you know, and I think even prior to launching um, what became the MacBook um, was the, um, uh, uh, the Apple three or something like that. And he was like, it's done. That's over. That was like last year, you know, it's like, we need to do this next thing. And that, that idea, I think that's part of what I've taken from his genius is you have to disrupt yourself. You know, you have to always be thinking about what's next and, and having a vision for that. But what's funny is to contrast that, not contrast that, but to think about that in a different way. I remember reading um, uh, Jeff Bezos, he was like, so someone asked him, is like, how do you always stay ahead of the curve? And he's like, well, we obviously do a lot of thinking about what the markets are going to be next, but, but a very simple exercise that's very effective is what's not going to change. And he goes, we know at Amazon, people are always going to want cheaper prices. Yep. They're going to want faster delivery and more selection. So if we yep. focus on trying to win those battles of what's not going to change, you know, and it's the same in construction, right? They yep. want it faster. They want it cheaper. You know, they want more options, you know? And so, You can either, you know, obviously Amazon plays that game at scale, you know, Mm -hmm. but another one we talked about Costco, um, you know, they've, they've made, you know, uh, it's, it's got some of that, you know, there's that elitist appeal or whatever the brand, you know, loyalty and then good selection. I think they've done more what construction should do. We give you selection, but 
in a limited parameters, right? And here's your, mm -hmm. you know, you've got, you know, like I, I think about the, the alcohol, like the whiskey we were talking about, you know, you have your low level stuff that you can buy <laughs> in the five gallon bucket, or you can buy some nice stuff, but it's like, mm -hmm. you're not buying everything you can get at a liquor store. It's nope. certain things that they've built partnerships with different companies mm -hmm. that you have these options, you know? Well, so. and I, I remember like four or five years ago, I watched this, I don't know, 20 minute video on BMW and their designers. Hmm. They were talking about, um, it was the uh, new seven series was coming out. And they said, what's interesting is when we design these cars, we don't change the design every year. Yeah. The design changes every three to five years. So mm -hmm. we at BMW, especially with technology, we have to think about what could be possible yeah. in three years. Yeah, yeah. You think about it, like now, like I, you know, I have a new truck. It has Apple CarPlay in it. Two years ago, I never would have thought Apple CarPlay was a thing. But what is design, that? So it's it's really cool. It's it's a you you plug your phone into a USB port, and then it projects um, almost like what you you know if you had an iPad okay. on your screen, you can your podcast, your music. It looks just like an like your like a little tablet your interface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to use your phone. So you plug your phone in, you put your phone down and then everything is on your heads up display. Oh. It's really cool. So it, it makes it so you don't touch your phone as much when you're driving. It's really, it's really slick. Well, I saw that picture you posted. That's a, I mean, it's like yeah, a it's, it's, 32 it's, inch screen in your truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's crazy to think like from that concept that if you're going to design a car that's going to come out in 2020, you have to think about what's, if this car is not going to get redesigned for four years, what are we going to have that our customers are going to want right in 2024 right so we have to be able to adapt and like tweak this yeah. so that if there say there's some sort of new like you think about it pre iphone to iphone like if you if you had a car that was kind of in that period you would have been able you had to have kind of anticipate the market yeah. and what the demand's going to be I, I thought that was i don't know that that always has stuck with me that that you have to almost predict the future if you're going to be successful well and that's similar to the amazon thing right people spend so much of their lives in their cars we live in a fairly high density area where you know your commute is just you know ridiculous quarantine right. has been nice for that's one nice thing about quarantine but um you know yeah if traffic's one thing that doesn't come back i'm not going to be sad yeah that would be nice <laughs> um so Let's go into, you know, speaking of marketing, you know, the, the podcast, um, I've got some feedback, you know, people are reaching out to some of the people that we've been talking to and in this pro versus Joe, yeah. um, you had mentioned, um, David Princeton. So it's claim, uh, advocacy claims advocate service, I believe is the mm -hmm. name of this company. It's lostpay.com. Um, you actually had a chance to where you had a client that reached out to him. Is that correct? Yeah, so we walked a job a couple weeks ago, and um, the client used the dreaded M word, mm. and um, which yeah still shocks me. I mean, the the whole mold thing is just it, it's you know well, that, that's I, one thing talking to you like we're trying to figure out like how can we circumvent this if there is mold present because ultimately we need to get the mold taken care of, but. Just well, how thought, that's something that homeowners can get effed on. You know, it just doesn't. Well, what people don't understand is like mold can grow in like 48 hours. You know, you give it the right, right. conditions, um, especially if it's like sandwiched in between the baseboard and the drywall. 
And right. so, um, you know, and that is one of the nuances of insurance. It's like the, 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 the classic example is the 70 year old lady that the, you got a, a, a little pinhole leak on the water line leading up to the fridge. You know, that lady is not, she is incapable of pulling her fridge out, you know, every week to clean it or every month. And yeah. we're able-bodied people. I don't know. I don't pull my fridge out maybe once a year to clean behind it. Right. So if you had a leak, you don't know until it's, you must have a very dirty house, John. Yeah. Just disgusting. It's, <laughs> I live in squalor, a squalor, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's uh, so then you don't discover the leak until, and so that's one of those, you know, like, okay, so it's obviously a long-term loss, but they reported it yeah. as soon as they discovered it. We've had those conversations like, please tell your insurance company it's water damage. You know, like you discovered the water damage, explain the scenario. And they're like, yeah, but mm -hmm. there's mold. And it's like, okay, yeah, you can say that. Um, but I would advise against it. You know? mm -hmm. So, right. And even, so, so this, this homeowner had before we got in there or before we got there had told the adjuster that there was black mold everywhere. Oh, because they think that it's the insurance company's responsibility to take care of everything. And they Not think knowing that there's the an insurance company policy. has their back, which yeah. like we said last time is not the case. It's far from that. But so we walked the job. They had basically needs a full kitchen demo, tear out, replace, you know, subfloor affected drywall. I mean, it's probably a third of their home Jeez. is affected. What was and the source? Uh, there was a, I think a water line leak behind the drywall um, in one of the supply lines for um, the sink in the kitchen. Okay. So behind but, the cabinets and everything. Yeah. Behind the cabinets, behind the drywall. So, I mean, and then it went down underneath the floor and the crawl space um, insulation, all of that stuff. So we come in and the, the homeowner's like, this isn't covered. We're like, what? It's not covered. Okay. So we, we're looking around and it looks just like every other job we walk. And we're like, really, this isn't covered? No, it's not. My adjuster said it's not. I'm like, okay. So we, we do our, you know, our thing. We measure everything up. And then I happen to have listened to your podcast maybe a day after. The Diojo podcast. The Diojo podcast. The Diojo. Um, so I reached out to you and got David's contact info. And David's been working with them, reviewed the, you know, the full 120 whatever page policy that she had and um, actually thinks that he has a really you know, good chance of getting the, if not everything covered, but the majority of the work covered. Yeah. So this lady's going to, you know, it's probably a thirty dollars to $40,000 restoration job on top of whatever the mitigation bill was. I mean, so just by making that phone call, now that we know that we have someone that we can just simply refer, it costs us nothing. Yeah. Um, but that's just an extra service we can provide to our clients, which is really cool. Well, and that's super tricky because, you know, that's, it comes in that point where as a contractor, you know, you're not an adjuster or a public adjuster. That's the other route is public adjusting. And it's like, you know, claims advocacy, you know, like you said, when it's, you know, if it, it just doesn't smell right and somebody needs some help, then, you know, that's not your place to be like, well, I understand your, you said 120 page, you know, policy. And it's like, and, and in that case, you know, the agent might not understand all the nuances either, you know, so excuse me. But it, it's just funny that if the customer even mentions the word mold, it's like yeah. red flag, red flag, you're not covered. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, and so. just well, yeah, I can remember. I I learned that early on. One of my um, supervisors, he had a a trailer that he had his tools in that mm-hmm. um, he used for work, and it got broken into. And I remember the conversation he had, he called an insurance claim and they're like, well, was your trailer inside your garage? Cause they're trying to determine, is it an auto policy or a, a, a right. home policy? And he's like, well, it's outside. And they're like, do you use these for work? And he goes, they're my home tools. I do some work. You know, I, I'm a weekend warrior every now and again, I do some work and I do get paid for some of that work. And um, they're like, well, then your claim is denied. And he goes, so because I'm honest, if I would have told you, no, I never use this trailer or these tools for work, you would cover it. And they're like, yeah. And he goes, so because I'm honest, I'm being penalized. And uh, they're like, well, yeah. And I remember he, he ran it up the flagpole and was able, I don't remember if he got it all covered, but it's like, you know, it, it's, there's two parts to it, right? People don't understand what their policy covers and doesn't cover, you know, and it's like, who knows all of that. But at the other side, it's like, you know, if there's a common sense aspect to it, it's like, you know, even with the COVID stuff, it's like, it seems like we can't do the common sense stuff. We have to complicate it, you know? So. Well, I think that just goes back to the point that I keep making being the, you know, the Joe of this industry is it amazes me how different insurance companies are compared to like their marketing on TV. (laughs) Right. Like if you're in good hands, I mean, no matter if it's state farm, Liberty mutual, whatever it is, a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah. Nationwide is on your side. Yeah. I mean like the, the Limu emu, like, Hey, I can save you. Give me, no, you're, you are ultimately out there to not like to cover as little as possible. And I think that's where people like David or even like us, where we try to educate our client. I mean, we're, we're not the most well-versed in this industry yet, but like, we've been in it long enough that we, we know that like ultimately we need to fight for our client because if we yeah. don't fight for our client, they're going to get railroaded by their adjuster Yeah. because then that, adju- that that's what that, adju- and ultimately the adjuster is doing what their job is. Right. Their, their job is to adjust the claim to protect the insurance company. Well, so we have to help give them like the ammunition and their gun to help like get our client what needs to be done. Well, and if, if there's any agents out there, you know, that's, that's where it is really a benefit to have a good contractor say, Hey, can you go take a look at this mm-hmm. to determine the, ex- it's the, what is the source? You know, that's the two questions of every loss is, you know, the basics of what I understand this is basic, but you know, what is the source? Is it a covered source? That's the first question of an insurance claim. Did it come from a covered source? And then, you know, was it sudden and accidental as part of the nuance? And then what is the extent of the loss, you know, and then you kind of start digging into, we've talked about that previously, like mold. If you have a mold exclusion, you know, hopefully your agent explained that to you and you understand that. But, um, you know, then, you know, how much of this is water damage, how much of this is mold damage. And David talked about that in his episode too, you know, understanding that dividing line, you know, there's a lot of that that we would do for water damage, even if there was mold, you know, so, that's the, the, the state that they're in. Hopefully there's at least coverage for the water damage, right? Maybe mold has an exclusion or maybe mm-hmm. it's completely excluded a cap or an exclusion, you know, but there should be an amount of work that can be done under the policy. So yeah, in most instances we've seen people have what on average 10, $10,000 worth of mold coverage. Well, and if that's yeah. the case, then 
if we can deem everything else water related. Then well, didn't you have that one that was like 1,000, right? It was pretty yeah. simple. There, yeah. I've, I've seen 1,000, 2,500. I've seen 5,000. I've seen 10. Well, we, we got referred to a job that we're going to go to next week that it's there's mold and the mitigation um, invoice already has exceeded the mold coverage. Yeah. And so you're going into the job and you're like, oh. yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, homeowner. Like I hopefully you got enough money in the bank or you can get some Yeah. That's when you just really feel bad for those clients, right? Where yep. you're just like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like I'm well, sorry. That's, you have as a homeowner responsibility for, you know, preventative maintenance and taking mm -hmm. care of your home, right? If you're just not taking care of your home and you're expecting insurance to fix everything, that's the wrong mindset, you know, right. but, uh, right. like the 70 year old lady that doesn't pull the fridge out until, you know, all of a sudden the floor's corroded, you know, and then there's a nuance there. Like, did she see it and just didn't say anything or whatever? But mm -hmm. so that gets into even like the COVID, I think we were talking about, you were talking about, um, you know, the Ed Cross, um, um, it's clarifying your work scope, right. Yep. And then understanding what you are and aren't doing. And I think that applies if you're doing direct COVID cleanup, which you guys have chosen not to, I think is smart, mm -hmm. um, is, you know, what, are, what value are providing? Raymond Tittman talked about that too. You know, what value are providing? Can you verify there's been an exposure? Right. Um, but so many, it's crazy how many companies are out there working with like no contract, you know, or even a work authorization. And Ed really recommends the standard workout. He's working in California mm -hmm. where the rules are typically much more stringent, mm -hmm. <coughs> but we all know what happens in California eventually rolls out everywhere. everywhere. And now it's time for a not so subtle ad break. So the dojo, the do your job dojo, yeah. um, you know, kind of tell us a little bit about that. Why you, why you started it, what your, what your kind of goal is there. What is the, so we found a really cool killer podcast that we want to describe here that is very amazing in the restoration industry. Yep. It's called That's it. Head over. I've had it with this dump. The Diojo Podcast. What are you doing? got no jobs it's your friend john Head from the jojo podcast our pets heads are falling off uh, say that again john isaacson has been a crucial role the dojo.com no god or played the crucial role in our company in the growth i just wanted to make john knows knows the the jojo. Jojo. <laughs> can you stop <gasps> doing that oh great odin's raven Welcome to the Dojo Podcast! All day! All night! The D-Y-O-J-O dot com No! God, please, no! 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 So, you know, if you if you have somebody, a resource like Ed Cross, a restoration mm -hmm. lawyer, that is on the front end, you know, if you set up your systems for the most stringent, then you know, you have a better chance than not of yeah. kind of being ahead of it. So what, uh, what kind of things, um, came up out of, uh, of that? Well, I think one thing I wrote down 
that was really interesting was um, he said that we need as as restoration contractors, we need to have a payment agreement rather than a work authorization letter. Yeah. That's signed. Um, And then he also said, we need to try to get a clear vision of the value proposition of what the contractor has provided the customer in a nutshell. What is the customer providing or getting from the contractor for the money? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was one thing I wanted to chat with you about because I'm going to reach out to Ed and obviously there was a lot of things I wrote down that I feel like he could help our, um, our company that is new to the industry kind of protect our backside. Right. But you know, you've obviously have had experience working for larger firms. What were some of those, you know, practices that you guys put in place just to well, what's protect really yourself from the customer that's going to keep all the money when they get it after you've done the job? Yeah, well, that's, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. What he's talking about too, which is really interesting in California. So typically when you respond to 2 a.m. water damage, right, you're not going to have a contract, you know. So you have a work authorization um, that kind of stipulates, hey, you know, you have to pay us your deductible. That's your out-of-pocket. The rest of this right. should be covered by your insurance company. You're authorizing to do this. You're authorizing us to bill your insurance company. And he's saying in California, you actually have to have a contract. And so the way he's advising people is to get, you know, so we're going to have X amount of equipment. We're going to do X amount of demo for three days or whatever. So the initial contract is this scope of work for this dollar amount is what you need in California, which is different than most areas. Most areas you can still get away with the work off, you know, and, and there's typically not a lot of issues with that, but, it's tricky because as a restoration contractor, if you go in to say that loss where you find, um, if you go into a loss where you find a bunch of mold, your, your people need to know, okay, our process is different if we find these things, you know, so, and that what we call in the mitigation world is stabilized, right? So if you go out there and it's kind of fishy, get the work off signed, set a dehu, like in a, if there's mold, microbial growth, you don't set fans because you're going to kick all that in the air, right? Or there's a popcorn ceiling that's fallen down. Well, we can't disturb that. So we need to cover that. We're going to set a dehue so that it's not disturbing the air. We're going to stabilize. So that way somebody can come back and review it. We can get in contact. That's what Raymond Tittman's point was, um, you know, get in contact with the insurance company, you know, early on and say, Hey, this is what we found. This is what our plan is because it's a paradigm, right? It's you, the client, the homeowner, business owner, and the insurance company. And you want to make sure that was what I always explain to customers. I don't want to get in a problem in a situation where we've put you in a position where you're going to have to pay out of pocket because we didn't understand. If you're going to pay out of pocket, that's fine. We just want you to know that up front, you know, so you have to train your guys to understand that you guys obviously don't deal with the mitigation. Right. Um, so that's a different realm. But then on the repair side, I think the biggest thing that it reminded me even listening to Ed is, a contract's not a contract unless it stipulates these are the responsibilities of the contractor, the agreed scope of work and value for that work, and these are the responsibilities of the homeowner. If you don't have those three elements, you don't have a contract. So whatever, which is, I think he has standardized contracts and then um, those kinds of things. But exactly like you're talking about, um, you also have to know there are certain insurance companies that'll send the check to the customer Mm-hmm. with their name on it and they oh, can yeah. cash it, you know, so whereas that is maybe the only advantage of program work is oftentimes you're listed as a preferred yeah. vendor 
to where your name's on that check too. But we've had plenty of checks where they've even cashed those. You know? mm -hmm. So, and then the larger losses, a lot of times over 10 K, you know, the mortgage company might be listed. So then you got to have a contract where you can advocate and interact yeah. with the mortgage company to get your payments released. Um, and a big we thing. We found that, if it's less than 20, the mortgage company doesn't have to sign. A lot of that can be in relationship to the value of the home too um, mm. and, the, and the specific policy. But, um, but yeah, that, you know, uh, and the biggest thing, you know, especially for a smaller company is that cash flow. If you're going to be on a 30K job, but you have to wait until the job's done to get any kind of money, you know, that's, yeah. you're stringing yourself well, out there. And that's where we've, we've made sure that we get deposits up, yep. up front. Yep. And, and and then we've progress also, on, yeah, progress payments on larger jobs where it's like, hey, okay, we hit 75, 80% completion. We need 75%, especially if you've got, if I know you've gotten like 90% of the funds already, yep. Yep. You're, you're, like we're not, because you know what? We may have done floors, we may have done cabinets, but we're not putting those countertops in yep. until we get X yep. amount of money. Well, and that's and, the biggest thing too, like we've talked about. So your, your high ticket items, your high dollar items, flooring, cabinets, countertops, right? Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you want to verify like kind and quality budget, you know, yep. before you order the materials, make sure that that money is right. available. And then the selection forms is another area people get in a lot of trouble because, you know, I went to the store, I looked at it in their beautiful lighting in their showroom. Right. And when right. you put it in my house, it has, you know, fluorescent bulbs mm -hmm. way different or, this extreme sunlight through this bay window, you know, cast a different, it's not as brown as I thought it was. Or I didn't realize my cabinets were that color until yep. I put this floor in and it doesn't look good. Yep. Sorry. Then, then, then you're, then you're in a battle that nobody's going to win. Right. You know, so yep. even if you got to go to small claims or you got to go to court, yep. you know, you're, you're losing money at that point. And so, um, you know, that's, but I, I think that goes back to John, like having that customer service that you may be wasting money as far as the company goes with the, I know we talked about the design stuff last time, um, kind of putting in that effort up front yeah. and making sure the customer feels that we have their back yep. um, within reason, obviously. Obviously, we're not, we're not going to do everything, but uh, if it's reasonable for us to help you along through this process, the more comfortable they are, the least likely they are to F you over. Well, Ultimately, you're going to get some customers that try to do that, but you know what I mean? If you, if you create that relationship there with them, they're, they're going to be less likely to take advantage. Well, that for me, listening to Ed, that was the big takeaway. And I've listened to him on some other um, um, venues is you need to be very clear about the customer's responsibility, right? You know, you have to choose things in a timely manner. And if you choose things that are eight weeks out, you have to be willing to, to deal with that delay. Right. And then when X and X are done, you're going to be expected to pay, you know? And so, um, and that's, you know, another aspect of that, you know, for companies like yourself and that company I was talking to in Salem, if you're independent, you know, there's, there's some great ways you can take advantage of that and saying, you know, we're not a preferred vendor. So we advocate on your behalf and we're working for you. And there's, you can make a crap ton of money by saying, Hey, look, we're going to take the money from insurance. And unlike other program vendors that are going to take six weeks to do this job, we're going to have it done in three, but we're mm -hmm. going to expect you to deposit progress pay and pay upon completion, you know, um, or if you want the full remodel, then let's get a designer involved. Let's do that. But again, there's going to be a deposit progress payments and, you know, significant, 
yeah. you know, with the retainer. And I, I think that goes back to the branding. Yeah. Yeah. Are you branding yourself as a Peloton, Apple, Nordstrom, BMW? Right. With that, there is an assumed value that you are going to pay yeah. the top tier price. Yep. Because you're going to get the top tier service yeah. and you're going to get this job done quick right. and you're going to have customer interaction one-on-one -on -one that you want. If you want program work and you want the cheap one, you're going to wait eight weeks. You're yeah. going to have a project manager that you're one of 20 clients, that guy, and he doesn't give a crap because he's hourly and he's just doing his job. Which contractor do you want to go with? If right. you're choosing us, this is the expectation. This is how it works. You pay us, like you said, in this structure, which is clearly outlined in the contract. Right. And then you get the service that we provide. Right. And if one thing doesn't work, if we're not providing that service or you're not providing the money and you're like, this is a, it's a two way street here. Right. Right. Well, I used to always, when, when we did program work, I used to try to get in our people's mind, like there's Walmart, there's Target and Costco, right? And they're very distinct shopping experiences, quality levels, right? Walmart is, you're going to get, you know, the lowest prices, but you're going to get, you know, less expensive, less quality products, right? But, you know, and Walmart makes a crap ton of money, right? But that's one level of service and experience and that kind of thing. And, and then there's the Target, which is, uh, or I would say the Costco, which is, you know, you're paying for the membership, you have high expectations. You know, if you've ever been aligned with somebody at Costco, you know, there are certain kind of people and, uh, and there's a lot of, there's people. no questions asked on the returns. Right. Right. That. Yeah. And there's, there's, but there's a whole ambiance to that. Right. And then yep. there's the target, which is kind of the, we still got, uh, reasonable prices, you know, but we're not Walmart and we're definitely yep. not Costco, you know, type of thing. And so you just got to be clear about, you know, with your people, if you're going to be Walmart, be Walmart. That's fine. You can make a crap ton of money being Walmart, but yep. you've got to set your systems up to be that. And if yep. you're going to be Costco, that's great. You know, but you got to set your systems up to be that or Nordstrom's, you know, and then, um, and then if you're going to be target, you know, which is where most of the companies are, you just got to communicate that to your customers. And that's where, right. especially if you're doing program work, you can't be Costco, you know, you've got to be I mean, you're somewhere in there between Walmart and Target, but just own it and nail it, you know, like just, just, uh, are you frozen? At least you're not praying this time. <laughs> it's all my internet, man. Yeah, man. I heard you the whole time. No, but, and I think that's the funny thing in restoration is, Everybody expect us, expects us to come in and give them a low bid like you would at Walmart or Target, but they want the Costco service. And that's what yeah. we're trying to tell you is like, you're not paying for this. Yeah. Your insurance is. Yeah. So which one do you want? I mean, we, we happened to do a job walk last week where the homeowner for just some great reason uh, brought both contractors at the same time to yeah. bid the job. Yeah. And we showed up with our iPads and our laser measure, walked them through the whole process, talked to them. We were there for about 45 minutes. The other guy was there with his $5 tape measure and a notebook was in and out in 10, 10 minutes and told the guy, yeah, I can do this in four, four days. And the homeowner came up to us and was like, how long do you think this is going to take? And we're like two to three weeks. He's like, that guy said four days. We're like flooring, drywall, subfloor, cabinets, Countertops, 
two to three weeks. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm going to go with that. I'm like, <laughs> man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> no offense. You can go with that guy, but that guy, how is that guy going to build an exactimate estimate based on 10 minutes of a walkthrough of two apartments yeah. that were fully demoed? Yeah. And we kind of, we sat there and we explained everything and 10 minutes after we left, he texted me and said, Hey, we want to go with you guys. Thank you for your yeah. due diligence and your attention to detail. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you know what, man, if you, this is your house, yeah, you can use the handyman in a van to come fix your house if you want. Yep. Yep. Or you can choose to use a contractor like us where we're yep. going to take that extra 25 minutes. We're going to walk through this and we're going to get your claim so that you get everything you need back. Right. Right. For your rentals, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah, that's... And, and we're straight up with them. It's like, you know what, man? That guy's cheaper. That guy says he can get it done in four days. And you know what? You could probably get it done in four days if you had 10 guys in that job site all day, every day for four days. Yeah. But realistically, that guy's not going to have 10 guys on this job. It's not... It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even if they're a big outfit. I mean, the big outfits have as much trouble. Well, that probably too, you know... Uh, the classic thing is beat up your subs, you know, rather than take care of them. You know, we talked about mm -hmm. that a little bit with William um, from Rockland. It's like people don't take care of their uh, partners. You know, they just kind of pass the crappy estimate on down the line, you know, well, our right. subs will take care of it. We'll, we'll just cut it out of their budget, you know, and exactly. it's not a long-term proposition, you know? So right. the reality is counterpoint is, you know, a lot of your, we talked about this, you know, there's usually a life cycle on, on your subs, you know, so, cause they get to a point where they want to do their own work. And, but the beauty of, of the restoration is, you know, you don't have to do as much marketing if you get those um, referrals and those kinds of stuff. So that has to account into, you know, your overhead and your profit calculations. But that's what it's like. You were even talking about, you know, knowing your overhead. Um, you know, a lot of companies don't even know, you know, they, they want to gripe and complain about 10 and 10 is the standard insurance, um, you know, O and P, but you know, the, the flip side is like, you know, I can't believe it's only 20% O and P. And it's like, well, what is your overhead? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's greater than 20%. I know that, you know, like, well, how do you know that? <laughs> you know, right. what metrics do you have? You know, do you actually understand, you know, what's going into your, your, your burn rate by day for the staff that you have and all the overhead fees. So, and also are you shopping around for your subs? Right. Because once yeah. you find the right sub that is able to do, and that has the same idea where it's, it's quantity over quality. Yeah. Especially as a Tacoma contractor working in Seattle. Yeah. We're going to be cheaper than the Seattle guys regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're bidding on Seattle prices and using Tacoma pricing, we're, we're going to make more than that 10 and 10 and our, and we're keeping all of our subs busy and they're all happy. We're happy. Everybody's good. Yep. Don't rock the boat. Yep. And well, that's, also like let them charge what they need to charge because they need to make money too. We're not going to just grind our subs so that they have, you squeeze every penny out of there because if, right. if they're not making money, they're going to start looking around. Yeah. There has Inevitable. to be a, a give and take one yep. two, You want them to respond, right? So, you know, that's, I used to always tell, especially when we we're onboarding a new sub is like, you know, give us three projects, you know, and I guarantee if you look at the course of three projects, you're going to make what you need to make. One of them is mm -hmm. probably going to be lean. One of them is going to be fat. And mm -hmm. one of them is probably going to be in the middle, you know, and then, and then decide, you know, whether we want to make this a long-term relationship or not. But Well, and when you build up that loyalty, you can then go to that sub and be like, Hey, I got this crazy, crazy yeah. client. Yep. They have un unreasonable expectations, but Hey, can you help me out? We'll yeah. pay you a little extra. 
just, just please get it done so that yep. we can get this job done and get yep. it off our plate. Yep. And they do it. And that's the thing is, but then you take care of them. Yep. Yep. Because they're taking care of you. Long-term that plays better. Yep. Um, well, any other, um, trying to look at our notes from, Oh, we wanted to close on. So, um, we've got the, um, you know, uncle Jay, Jay Inslee here in Washington. We had the phase one nebulous plan, right? It's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of stipulations with not a lot of explanation. Um, Oh, it's his MO. That's his MO. I'm, I'm going to announce all this stuff that's not really planned out and then, uh, expect everyone to follow it. Carte blanche to the T. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, what, uh, maybe as a closing that this might be a topic for another time. I know they released that article saying how much fraud there is in people, um, you know, um, getting the, the $600 check, you know, yeah. the, the Trump money. Right. Um, right. And, uh, on top of their, their unemployment. And, and so people having trouble getting people back to work and those kinds of things. And I mean, there's, we're probably preaching to the choir as far as if, if the government would have invested that in small businesses and tied that to, I mean, that's what I, I think of. It's like, if you give it to small businesses and have them have people, whether they're sitting wiping down counters, even if the business isn't busy, that at least keeps people working and businesses up and running. But, um, well, well, my thought on that is even if it's an industry that's shut down, that's not essential. Yeah. If that money is funneled through the company, and allows the company to stay open or stay in business while right. not working. Right. And we are then required in order to not pay back the loan to pay our employees. Yeah. So if that's them cleaning the shop or, or, or even if they're just staying home, trucks. like, like yeah. when, when we had to shut down, we had, we had to lay off people, but it, instead of those people getting unemployment and putting them on the responsibility of the state, you just funnel the money through our company. We're yeah. required to pay them and document that we're paying them and they're staying yeah. home to keep people safe, right? Yeah. But the second we're deemed essential or we're deemed to have been in an industry that's opened back up, yeah. I'm still telling that employee, hey, dude, you've sat at home for the last three weeks being paid, but guess what? We can go back to work, so you have to come back to work tomorrow. Work yeah. starts at eight. Yep. You're not going to have that employee and it's not just that. I mean, it's inevitable. I mean, you were talking about your daughter, like how she made more money on unemployment than not. Like we, if you're, if you're going to make 90 to hundred percent of your salary sitting on your couch, yeah. what incentive do you have to go back to work? Right. Right. But yep. if your income is coming from your employer, who's paying you to stay at home and then says, right. Hey, that time's over, it's time to go back to work or you right. ha you don't have a job. They're going to come back to work. Right. It, 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 encourages, it seems so simple to me, but I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Politics I, get in the way of a lot of things, I think. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, um, I'm, uh, Lex Sisney has agreed to come on and he's been pretty vocal about, you know, you got like the Sweden system where, you know, they, they had very um, low restrictions, you know, basically they, from what I understand, they had the high risk people kind of quarantine, but everybody else for the most part, some social distancing, physical distancing, but keep things running. And um, yeah, exactly. It seems like there's ways, you know, if the incentive is to keep the economy running, people need to be working. So the, the trouble with that is, is some of those big companies got big ass bailouts and didn't keep people working. They still shut down or invested that in like BS stuff. So, um, you know, and, 
and eat cat poop. You will eat cat poop. Ron Burgundy says no. You make a fool of me and everyone here. You put that cat poop in your mouth. No. Yes. I know. They're... I don't know all I know about that, but the, it sure seems, you know, if 80% of the workforce is hired by small businesses, then that seems to be the place to invest the money yeah. to help keep the economy running. So, Or maybe if you're just not a, net, a publicly traded company, then you're allowed to get the money. I mean, that's right. Well, obviously you got <laughs> better advocates and uh, people in the ears of politicians and stuff like that, right? So, Well, I'm sure a lot of those publicly traded company are, you know, or the shares of those publicly traded companies are uh, owned by politicians. Yeah. So yeah. they're incentivized some, to keep them open. Some level involvement, right? Yeah. yeah. So, well, man, I, um, like I said, I've said before, I, I get encouraged. You guys have reignited. I, I don't think I ever lost my passion for property restoration. It's certainly been um, bruised by some of the program work, yeah. not just program work, but some of the approaches to it, um, you know, and so it's been fun working with you guys. <laughs> like we said, it wasn't ever the intent that I'd write all your essays. You had, had to hire someone else though, man. We're, we're keeping you too busy. Yeah. 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 That's been, it's been fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to show you how to budget out of Xactimate mm -hmm. and at least have a, a target to hit and that kind of stuff. So maybe eventually we'll be able to sit face to face and actually go through it. There you go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So, um, any, uh, any closing thoughts for the, uh, folks there in, um, quasi quarantine? We, we, we are still open to sponsorships here on the Proverse Joe's. So I know. anyone, whether you're sending trigger pellets or, uh, cigars oh. or, uh, Apple, uh, yep. some clothing items or just yeah. cold hard cash, you know, yeah. um, like we talked about in the first episode, we are, open to free lunches and swag whatever you want to set. We will yep. rep your stuff. Okay. Well, obviously you're a prime example that, uh, you know, some of the stuff hits and it makes you think and like, Oh, that's, that's a great resource to have. Right. So, yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. And yeah, buddy. Uh, um, we will talk again. Right on. Proverse the joke. Yo number Joe four. Podcast. You got it in the microphone that time. <laughs> Disengage. Disengage. <laughs> Well, I would be, um, you know, a bit like, uh, like maybe I'm supposed to apologize that we went uh, longer than we've ever gone. But uh, th the flip side of that is maybe not apologizing. I should be saying you're welcome. We gave you more content than we've ever given you. And uh, what did I say in the intro? We wanted to encourage, challenge, educate, and inspire through the Pro vs. Joe podcast. We've done all four of those things. And so if you expect an apology, you come to the wrong place. I'm going to say you're welcome. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for listening, and thank you. It's a partnership. But um, Brian brings up a couple of things in uh, retrospect, um, transparency, which I think is a pro-level um, item that leaders, managers, um, and even, you know, career minded professionals can bring to the table as far as, um, you know, it's tough to get to that spot where, um, your, everything's on the table, but, um, like Skylar talks about Skylar Lewis, CEO of superior restoration talks about episode 19 of the DOJO podcast, the DOJO podcast, um, you know, it, it, he went through a really dark period in his career and his leadership and kind of had to confront some things and, and build something more sustainable ended up being more enjoyable for him, more of a clear avenue to incentives for his employees and a better overall, you know, win-win for everybody. Um, 
We talk about, oh, the quote, faith, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. That um, concept of progressive, um, uh, progressive responsibility, which is something I had the fortune of discussing with um, Eric um, and Larry on their podcast, the Blue Collar Nation podcast. So um, talking about one of my early managers, Sharon, at the Woodies in Moses Lake, Washington, um, but, uh, I don't have the shirt up today, but, uh, you know, even, even in a very small operation, um, you can create accountability, you can create progressive responsibility and transparency, you know, clarity, consistency, accountability. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, you know, so I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, they've got a great podcast and we're excited. They are going to be dropping the blue collar nation radio station, that rhymes, um, and it's, uh, I believe it's coming out here in um, June. So um, June 15th is when that drops. So be looking and listening for that. We're, we're really happy and excited to be a part of that. Um, I also address, oh, this, uh, the story with Sharon, I address in written form. I've been working for a while. It's gone through a couple of different, um, you know, uh, elaborations, but uh, a collaborative book with various offers authors, some of whom have been guests on the DOJO podcast, where we discuss how small things as leaders, owners, managers um, can pay big dividends in your culture and um, how you treat your people, your process, your production, and your progress. Um, just sometimes small things um, create big returns. And so you can check that out. Um, I've been updating. I haven't updated in a while because we've been working through <laughs> all the changes we've been going through. But it's uh, in the the diojo.com, D-Y-O-J-O.com. Um, in our products, it's the culture book tab. And so um, check that out. Keep your eyes open. That will be dropping soon. And speaking of written, uh, your boy's a centifold. Um, no, but uh, this is cleaning and restoration magazine for those of you on listening on the podcast but we got center uh listing in cnr magazine the magazine from ria the restoration industry association and the article is titled on the front lines of covid19 response by john isaacson so i'll just hold this up why don't i just hold this up for about um five minutes and everyone can read it through the camera through the webcam <laughs> bad idea oh okay okay but anyways um if you are not aware of the restoration industry association it's one of the largest in you know uh property uh repairs insurance um related work and uh they're doing a lot of good work to try to bring things together and create a better voice for um restorers and contractors for you know sustainable long-term solutions so i encourage you to check them out um and uh, thank you for listening. Peace! At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought.